Alright, I think we're live. Namaste and welcome to another edition of the Bharat Varta Weekly, which uh, to some has become a ritual, right? Uh, so thank you so much uh, for joining us again on this very pleasant Sunday morning. I have your guests, uh, uh, Ashish Chandrakar and Shivata Subarna, here to cover the news and events from the week that was. So hi Ashish, hi Vata, how are you guys doing? Hi Kelly, doing well. Hi Kelly, is Pune, Pune heating up? Coronavirus wise, yes, we were all in hard. So seems like the peak week, hopefully things will get better soon. Yeah, let's hope that, let's hope that happens. Both temperature wise and cold wise. And so before we get to the news and events, you know, we had a very interesting, very wide-ranging discussion on Indian foreign policy uh, with uh, Shri Gautam Mamavale, who was a former Indian ambassador to China. Uh, Ashish, what was it like talking to Mr. Gautam Mamavale? Well, this was a fantastic discussion. Uh, so Ambassador Mamavale was uh, the ambassador to China in his last role, but he's also served in Pakistan, US, Germany, and he served best jobs in Delhi, probably these countries. He's considered the foremost expert on China in the foreign policy establishment. And uh, he was quite candid about our border situation on both the fronts, uh, and the reasons why Pakistan has been showing peace over just lately. Plus, what is the future of the foreign policy with both the neighbors and with the US? Uh, Amit uh, Pranspe, who we have heard multiple times uh, covering topics like history, startups and technology and so on. So he was the one who asked most of the questions. And uh, pretty interesting conversations. I will actually urge listeners to go and have a look. It's about 15 minutes uh, episode. Uh, but a lot of insights from uh, a career diplomat. Yeah, indeed. I'm yet to watch uh, watch all listen to this episode. I'm going to definitely do that this week. Um, okay, the first piece of news that we have is pretty bizarre. Uh, you know, Alabama, uh, the state of the U.S., stalled a bill that would reverse a 1993 ban on teaching yoga in schools. Uh, the bill's passing was halted after conservative groups raised concerns over quote-unquote promotion of Hinduism and guided med- meditation practices. Uh, this echoes the reasons given for the 1993 ban, which cited concerns over hypnotism and yoga. Okay. Uh, if the bill is passed, the instruction of yoga will be limited to poses, which will have again to quote exclusively English description names. Chanting, mantras, mudras, use of mandalas, and namaste greetings will still be prohibited. Uh, the state legislator Jeremy Gray moved to pass the bill, citing his own personal experiences with yoga, improving his mental and physical well-being. Uh, after the bill was stalled, the Senate moved to reconsider the vote. Uh, what's I have to come to you on this? Uh, what do you make of this very bizarre piece of uh, news? I, I think it's very interesting, right? Uh, when the International Yoga Day started, uh, we had uh, newspapers and columnists all over India telling us that uh, there's nothing Hindu about yoga and, you know, there are elements of Sufism and Buddhism uh, in yoga. And now you have uh, a very conservative state, Alabama, explicitly coming out and saying that yoga is a, is a Hindu practice. And this is not the first time uh, yoga is being kind of banned by, uh, you know, Abrahamic religions. Uh, in the UK saying yoga is a Hindu spiritual exercise uh, and being a Catholic church, we have to promote the gospel and that's what we use our premises for. So this is what a church in UK said uh, about conducting yoga in their premises. Yoga is banned in Malaysia. Uh, it's also banned in Indonesia. Uh, I mean, in the same way you mentioned that chanting of mantras and meditation, etc. is, is uh, not allowed. Uh, but this is almost, uh, this is an explicit kind of uh, acceptance of the fact that yoga is, was, is and remains uh, Hindu. Uh, what the West construes as yoga is just, you know, one of the sort of eight limbs of yoga, right? It starts with yama uh, and ends with dhyana uh, and samadhi. So the, only the physical, the asanas or the physical well-being part of yoga is what is uh, adopted by Western countries. Uh, now, somewhere I think there is this fear that as people uh, learn more about yoga, the mantras, uh, and connect more with their spiritual self, they might move away from these Abrahamic religions. And I think that fear is what is driving some of these bands more than anything else. Uh, you know, most of these religions are very prescriptive in nature. Whereas, if you look at yoga, it's more about self-discovery. It gives you that freedom to discover yourself based on what you like and what you're capable of, right? So, uh, and I think that's where most of the fear comes from, which is why uh, it's called as a Hindu thing or whatever. But the fear is that people might actually abandon more prescriptive faiths as they get exposed to more open faiths. Uh, I think, uh, in a way, it's, it's kind of it kind of makes things clear that, uh, you know, these societies, religions, etc. are not as tolerant as, you know, the standard they expect India to follow, which is kind of ironic in itself, right? They expect us to follow a much higher standard, whereas they can be, uh, you know, this conservative and bigoted when it comes to something as universally useful as yoga. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a sad thing, but I don't think it's completely unexpected. Yeah, and uh, I think for more context on this, uh, definitely follow at Hindu History, that's uh, Hindu with two O's, uh, right, uh, which is being curated by Vishal Ganeshan, who we had on our podcast a couple of times. Uh, he's doing some fantastic work, uh, you know, documenting some of these uh, stuff, like archives going back to the 1850s and so on and so forth. Uh, right, a uh, lot of context on, context on this, do check it out. All right, uh, next up, in somewhat bizarre news again, uh, the government reduced interest rates on small savings schemes and then rolled it back. Uh, the finance ministry has withdrawn its decision to slash interest rates on... Uh, Small savings schemes like uh, the Public Provident Fund, the National Savings Certificate, and so on, terminate an oversight uh, on Thursday. Uh, the rates on such schemes will continue to remain as they were during the Jan to March quarter, reversing the cut on interest rates of up to 110 basis points or uh, 1.1 percentage points announced uh, just a day earlier to that. Ashish, uh, what do you make of this? Yeah, um, needless controversy. Uh, the, the situation on the savings rate side is that 
the aggressor rates which is all the all the areas where the central government decides arbitrarily what the rate should be what the interest rate should be uh, has been higher than the rates in the banking system right so this is a fairly well known and appreciated problem tens of materials have been written about in the last four five years uh, so what happens is when you are savings deposits in uh, i mean the, the, the down deposits in the, in the banking system or savings accounts if they are paying you x and if the government is paying x plus two percent uh, rate uh, that basically becomes untenable for the banking system to attract new deposits in fact at one point uh, i think it was 16 17 uh, 20 25 percent of all implemented deposits were going into small savings uh, not not in the banking system right and then of course these deposits which stay in the small savings scheme are not unlike in the banking system they are not rent out basically and they government can borrow from these
Moving on, uh, Rahul Gandhi questioned India's democratic process and interaction with former US diplomat Nicholas Burns. Uh, this was the talk of the town, actually. Uh, the former Congress president came under fire after stating that India's institutional frameworks had undergone, again, within courts, a wholesale capture by the BJP. Uh, he went on to say that the party had, within courts, absolute financial and media dominance. Uh, he mentioned that it was not just uh, Congress who were losing elections, citing losses from parties such as Bahujan Samaj Party, Samajwadi Party, National Con Nationalist uh, Congress Party and more. He also expressed a need for the economy to move beyond being growth-focused to job-focused. He stated, and uh, within quotes, uh, I'm not interested in 9% economic growth if I don't see job numbers right next to it. Okay. Ashish, I'm wondering which of the news so far that we've covered is more bizarre. Uh, I think this could be the top contender. What do you think? See, um, we have discussed the future of Congress and the style of Rahul Gandhi in one of the past episodes. Uh, I don't remember what the, what the episode number was, but um, I remember discussing that he has a specific game plan. And the game plan is not to win elections. The game plan is to essentially wait for the society to evolve in a way that it becomes woke enough or progressive enough to align with his viewpoint, which is when he can potentially be a serious PM candidate. Though remember that he's only 51 years old, so he's got at least 25 years of political career ahead. So as a society changes, um, there could be evidence for his views, right? So uh, instead of dismissing his uh, ideas, there should be serious, uh, let's say if someone wants to counter it, counter it, there should be serious counter it in terms of what he's attempting to do. And in this case, he's, what he's attempting is that uh, he probably thinks that the Congress will not win a lot of elections going forward. So he's essentially discrediting the institutional framework of the country, saying that the democratic processes, the judiciary, the media, everything is against uh, the Congress or the opposition in general. And hence, uh, maybe there should be international pressure uh, to, uh, on the Indian government uh, to, to, to correct things and so on. Right? So this is more about creating not political tensions inside the country, but essentially diplomatic tensions outside the country. Do you remember that Nicholas Bourne was actually under secretary of uh, in the State Department, uh, looking at global affairs, he was quite well connected to the uh, in, in Indian policy when the nuclear deal happened, right? So he was in very close touch with the Indian government and hence, to assume that he would have had good exposure to the, uh, the, the, the Congress establishment around that time. So his, the, the choice of talking to Mr. Bourne wasn't coincidental in that sense. Uh, he, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the approach that Rahul Gandhi has taken is not new, also he's been talking to some of these intellectuals for the last several uh, months, several years actually, he started before the 2019 local elections. And, uh, the, the uh, idea here is that he will want to say, uh, bring the international community in, in the Indian discourse, saying that it's, it's India democratic enough. Uh, several of the 1960s, we discussed Leiden uh, report a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there are other reports also which uh, have talked about uh, India sliding back on transparency or uh, democratic values and so on. So this will continue to be the game plan, uh, which is to bring the international pressure on the government and then hope that that reduces the domestic political shame. So for example, if let's say multiple international bodies ban India for something uh, over the next couple of years, will people start thinking that, okay, maybe something is wrong because everyone else around the world is saying something bad about India, right? So that is the larger view here. And uh, I mean, you know, as a politically speaking, these statements have no real value in India. Uh, it, it will not get told on the any extra votes. And if he's mocked by the BJP supporters, it will not get BJP supporters any extra votes, right? So there's no margin of the of these discussions from an Indian political perspective or Indian electoral perspective. But this is what the implications of how the domestic policy, pol politics will be influenced by the views of people outside of India, uh, many of whom are, of course, very learned people and uh, very, 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 I mean, very achievers in their own fields, such as Academy or foreign relations and so on. So it's a different type of challenge. Um, I don't think there's any counter to it right now, uh, in, in that sense. But it, it would be very active, let's say, lobbying or active outreach uh, in countries like US, UK, uh, potentially countries like Sweden, Germany, which is where all the debates originate from, uh, by the Indian establishment or people who are close to Indian establishment. So that remains to be seen if, if that is undertaken. Otherwise, uh, uh, his game plan from this point of view is quite clear, I believe. Right. I think it was episode 31 where we covered uh, you know, the future of the International Congress in further detail and uh, why Rahul Gandhi has to be taken more seriously than you know, some of us uh, are willing to. Right? Uh, Alright, moving on. Uh, Superstar Rajnikanth has been awarded the Dadasaheb Palkia Award, uh, which is India's highest honor for cinema. Uh, the announcement was made on Thursday by Information and Broadcasting Minister uh, Shri Prakash Javadikarji. Uh, this comes during one of the most heated election seasons in Tamil Nadu, which we covered in a fantastic episode uh, with Prasanna Vishwanathan of Suraja Magazine recently. Uh, Rajni thanked the people who helped him get to his current position, including his bus driver Raj Bahadur, his brother uh, Satyanarayan Rao Gaikwad, and late Tamil filmmaker K. Balachandar, of course the legend. Uh, Rajni Khan has also made public his allegiance to BJP before his no-show in Tamil politics. Um, she was, uh, you know, aside from all of the idolatry and the fame and everything, is this a strategic political move in some sense? I, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, if anything, I think, uh, I would say better late than never when it comes to Rajnikanth. I mean, uh, he's, he's been an absolute uh, legend in not just Indian, but I, I would say Asian cinema. He is he's almost, you know, unparalleled. I think the only person in Asia who would come close is probably Jackie Chan, uh, you know, in terms of the adulation, the fame, uh, and the popularity uh, that, that he has. So, as you mentioned, someone who started with very humble beginnings, uh, first as someone who worked as a, you know, someone who worked as a laborer in the docks in Mumbai. From there, he moved to Bangalore, became a conductor. Uh, and then from there on, he's uh, become, as I said, India's greatest uh, movie star, without a doubt, most popular, and not just in India, right, globally. I mean, there was a time where you would struggle to get uh, tickets for a Rajnikant movie on the first day, even in the US, and there would be elaborate rituals with, you know, puja and everything before the first day in US. And I'm not even talking about India, where, you know, the 
the first three shows, first four shows, back to back. I mean, that, that's how popular he was. He's a phenomenal actor, done a wide variety of roles. Uh, I know he's more famous for, uh, you know, his movies where he's kind of superhuman and all that. But he's done some pretty good work uh, as an actor. He's played negative roles. He's done all kinds of roles. Uh, and when it comes to politics, he's clearly mentioned that he's not going to contest. He's not going to contest this year's election sometime in December itself. And people tried to get him to change his mind. He didn't change his mind. He said he had health issues and couldn't campaign and he stuck on to that. So if it was political, he wouldn't have uh, you know, made that statement six, four or five months ago where he said that he doesn't want to contest elections. So well-deserved, albeit a bit, uh, little late. Last year, uh, I think it was Amitabh Bachchan who got this award. Another very, very deserving candidate. So it's great. It's great that uh, you know, uh, popular actors are also getting awards. Uh, and not just actors who you know become famous because uh, they worked in some darkly and poorly lit South Indian movies that maybe 100 people watch. Uh, it's good to see you know, popular actors also getting their due. And, and, and uh, especially those whose family hails from Pune, so I think that's not a <laughs> thing to mention. And, and, and who was a bus conductor in, uh, in Okanaka, so yeah, of course. <laughs> so, more such awards for most such people. Uh, Alright, moving on. March uh, 2021 saw India's highest ever exports yet, uh, buying very well for the economic growth. Uh, the country's exports jumped by 58.23% to 34 billion dollars. Uh, the highest ever uh, that's reached in a month. Uh, key sectors such as engineering, gems and jewelry and pharmaceuticals uh, recorded healthy growth rates during the month. Uh, in March 2020, the year before, the exports uh, stood at 21.49 billion dollars, uh, showing a decline of about 34% over March 2019 due to a global slowdown induced by the COVID-19 crisis. So, Ashish has spoken about the recovery uh, in many different episodes, many different weeks. And whatever. Uh, so, so this is another yet another indication of that. Yes, definitely. Uh, in India, we've been talking about a trillion dollar of exports for several years. Right? So, that, a trillion dollars will mean what about uh, you know, eight, uh, more than eight fifty, uh, uh, sorry, uh, more than eighty five billion for each month. But uh, the, the the challenge has been that we have really not been able to hit even four hundred billion uh, annually. In fact, even this year, our total number will be two ninety one. Uh, of course, partly because the month of March till May and then of course June also was a bit of a washout in terms of the exports. But um, the good thing is that we have hit the highest ever number, which is thirty four billion. This is a perspective. India has gone over thirty billion a month. Only this is the fifth incidence uh, ever. Uh, so. Uh, next week, right? So from Ashish, what's up, myself? Thank you so much, and uh, take care.